Thank you, Megan, choir, orchestra, Brother John. Take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 3, and we'll read there and into Acts chapter 4 this morning, a message that I have stolen the title from Alexander McLaren. Uh, it's all I stole, so uh, he entitled the text out of this passage, Obedient Disobedience, and I think it fits exactly what we're going to be looking at this morning. Acts, we've been there for seven weeks. We were speaking about the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and so I've just sensed in my heart I'm going to continue for a while uh, through the back, a book of Acts chapter by chapter as we walk through, and we come to post-Pentecost this morning. They've just been there. The power of God falls, and now Peter and John are walking out going into the beautiful gate, man is there that's lame, and we'll find him and read the text, God heals him, and then after the miracle comes a mess, and we're going to look at that this morning in the confrontation that came to God's people, the very first rattle out of the box after Pentecost. The context is that, and we're in Acts 3, I read verse number 6, and then we go to chapter 4 and read verses 1 through 12. You follow along, Acts 3, Peter and John going to the temple, they find this lame man, he's been there 40 years and has not walked a step, and Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. He took him by the hand, he raised him up, and, and he started to walk, and there was a revival, and people started shouting, and this man went walking and leaping and praising God. Friend, if you hadn't walked a step in 40 years, you'd, you'd shout. <laughs> he got up, and the glory of God came. And Peter then began to preach because some asked, how are you doing this? He said, by the name of the Lord Jesus is how we do that. And then came the confrontation that we find in Acts 4, beginning in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Bless God, that's an invitation right there. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which the, was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must 
be saved. And then the disagreement came, the confrontation, and the commandment that the leaders of law and religion gave to them. The Supreme Court today has on its docket the case of Coach Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy coached in in Washington and there in Bremerton, Washington at the high school. It was Coach Kennedy's habit. After every football game, he'd walk out to midfield. He'd shake hands with the other coaches. Hello, hi, how you doing? Congratulations or well done. And as everybody dispersed, then Coach Kennedy would kneel at the 50-yard line, have a prayer by himself and go on about his way. Some people were offended, upset, came against him. School board told him he shouldn't do it. and He decided that he would just stand his ground. And so he did. Uh, others said you shouldn't, and uh, there was conflict, and uh, years went by. He continued, and he lost his job for praying at the 50-yard line after football games. You see him there on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, that's not a normal cover. You don't see guys kneeling to pray on the cover of Sports Illustrated very often. Coach Joe awaits his fate from the Supreme Court, but he took his stand. We live in a culture where you'll have to take your stand if you name the name of Jesus. We are in a different age. I grew up going to grammar school when Miss Satterfield, every morning, I don't mean once a week, I mean every morning, she read a Bible story to us out of a Bible story book. When I was in the third grade, my mother bought the book. I took it and gave it to Miss Satterfield, and she read a Bible story every morning before we started reading, writing, arithmetic. Uh, there was a day when uh, every city council across America would invite a local pastor to pray. Sometimes that still occurs, but very rarely, for it came to the place that the satanic priest wanted to pray too. They found it easier just to say, well, we won't do that anymore. After all, this is government property, and we don't need to bring someone to pray. And so the school system is shied away. Government shied away. Dear friend, you're going to have it come to you. Dear Christian gentleman, lady, student, I don't know if you should, like coach, Kennedy continue to do. You have to decide where you want to take your stand. But listen to me. We dare not, we dare not be ashamed of his name. You dare not name his name here and be ashamed of the name out there. Peter and John just came from Pentecostal River. 
down to the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate was the most busy gate around the Temple Mount. For it was there where the court of the Gentiles emptied into the court of the women that entered into the Jewish court that finally into the Holy of Holies into the place where the priest would go. And as people started through that beautiful gate, people would beg there as people beg all over our city now on the street corners and signs and different things. This man was brought. He couldn't walk. They brought him there day by day, laid him at the gate. He's begging alms. No doubt Jesus walked by this man scores of times in the three years he was there because he went to the Temple Mount. Jesus cleansed the temple. Can't prove it, but we have to believe that he was there when Jesus came. But he's still lame. And as Peter and John go up to the temple, first thing they did after Pentecost went to church. Let me tell you, you don't need to stop going to church. You need to continue to go to church. That's what Christians do. We do many things, but one of the things we do is we go to church. We come together with God's people. Peter and John started up to the temple, and when they got to the beautiful gate, the the man there begging alms, Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold, I I don't have any of that, but what I've got I give to you in the name of Jesus the Nazarene. Walk. He reached, and the Bible says he took his hand, raised him up. You won't believe this. But that guy had never taken a step in 40 years. He began to shout and run and jump and holler. He had a Holy Ghost spell. If you hadn't walked, you'd have had a spell. He raised him up, and the glory of God came. And somebody said, how how are you doing this? And Peter began to preach Jesus to them. And he preached Jesus crucified, resurrected, and you'll find this sermon all the way down through verse 26. And then when you turn the page into chapter 4, you you find uh, that they were speaking, and and the priest and the captain of the temple guard, they're supposed to keep things calm, and the Sadducees. If you'll read your New Testament, you'll find the Pharisees gave Jesus trouble, but the Sadducees gave the New Testament church trouble. The Pharisees were rulers of the law, but when Jesus was raised, the people who did not believe in resurrection became the troublemakers. These were the Sadducees. Somebody taught a kid's class one time and said, well, who are those people? So well, I really don't know, but they said, they're sad, you see. They don't believe in Jesus. Well, the Sadducees didn't believe Jesus got up, and they were sad, you see, and, and so they went away. But, but here they came, uh, coming against Peter and John and telling them that they couldn't do that. It was the third hour of the afternoon. There were three hours of prayer, one at 9 o'clock in the morning, one at high noon, and then one and three in the afternoon. This was the three in the afternoon prayer time that they were going up to. So it got to be to the place where it was dark. And so what they did is they took them and they cast them into jail. They kept them in jail until the next morning. And when they got them out of jail the next morning, not only were these fair, were the Sadducees there, but some others came, Annas, the high priest, the elders, the rulers, verse 5, and the scribes, the keepers of the law. So the legal entity was there, the religious entity was there, and they came together and they said to Peter and John, you can't do this. You can't speak in his name. They confronted them, then they commanded them. In verse 17 and 18, but so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer. And in verse 18, and when they had summoned them, they brought Peter and John in and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
Our culture today tells us you go to your church, it's fine. You do it inside the walls. When you get outside these walls, you act like us. Jesus never saved us to come to a house and then have a holy hush out there. He sent us to the world with the gospel. He didn't send you to be mean as hell. He didn't send you to be arrogant, but he did send you to never be ashamed of the name. And when that comes to you, you have to make a decision like Peter and John made a decision. And Peter and John in verse number 19, and Peter and John answered and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you can be the judge, but we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And they threatened them again and told them not to do it. But Peter and John said, "Mm -hmm. silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, we're going to preach And they took the gospel to the streets. They decided to stand. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If you name the name of Jesus, you're going to have to decide somewhere along the way, are you going to stand? It's going to come to you. Are are you going to stand? Are you going to stand? They're going to say, nope, don't, don't do it. I'm asked from time to time to pray at certain things or speak or whatever and And I often will have a conversation in the back room with whoever the front person is. They will say, now you understand that who is here and and what's in the room and they have different. I said, ma'am, listen, if you don't want me to pray, just tell me. I hit the road. But I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. I'm a gospel preacher. You knew what I was before you got here and made the invite. So you can decide whether you want me or or we want you. I said, okay, well, if you want me, you got me. And what you get is who I am. I'm not going to be arrogant about it. I'm not going to stand and holler and scream. But I am not going to be ashamed of his name. In church, we've got to make a decision. Students, you're going to have to make a decision. College kids, you're going to have to make a decision. Mom, dad, never be ashamed of the name. So Peter and John stood. How did they stand? Well, I want to give you some principles how they stood. Then I want to give a gospel invitation. I'm going to invite you to come out of that balcony and say yes to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come join this church. I'm going to ask you to come and give your life under Christ in fresh boldness this day. How did these men stand? What led them to do that? Well, number one, I want you to see they stood, first of all, full of the Holy Spirit. They stood full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 said, then Peter fifth with the Holy Spirit said to them rulers and elders, and he began to preach. Listen, the last time Peter was in this judgment hall, a little girl ran him off. They came and said, oh, you use with us. He said, not me. Yeah, oh, it wasn't me. He said, yeah, I saw you with him. A little girl said that to him. But since then, Peter's been to Pentecost and the fullness of the Holy Spirit has come. As C.T. Studd said about his daddy after he got saved, he said, my father had the same skin, but he had a different spirit. (laughs) Peter had the same skin, he just had a different spirit. For the breath of God had touched him. 
He had come to abandon his all for Christ. There was full surrender. He was not ashamed of the name. And Peter and John took their stand full of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says quench not, grieve not. Friend, if you don't quench the Spirit, that's like putting the flame out. You need to, you need to fan the flame. Every now and again, our granddaughters come to our house and We've got a little fire pit, and we'll keep raw stuff there, and we'll have a little fire. We hadn't done that the last couple of weeks. I hadn't needed any fire the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I saw a guy baking biscuits in the front of his car the other day with them up on top of the... Man, it's been hot, hasn't it? But when those limbs won't burn, they say, Papa, it won't start. I say, yeah, it, it'll start just... I said, get a little pine straw, throw it on. Now, beloved, hear me. When, when it comes to the Spirit of God, you can either fan the flame or you can quench the Holy Ghost. It's up to you. But you need to fan the flame. When God speaks, you obey. And when you obey, then, then a new flame comes in, in your life. They stood full of the Holy Spirit. We, we need this flame to burst through us. And when we do, the fire will come through. We will not quench the Holy Spirit. We dare not do it. Because when you are ashamed of His name, you've quenched the Spirit. Don't do it. Fan the flame. They stood full of the Spirit. But secondly, they stood full of the gospel, full of the gospel. Notice in verse number 12, uh, Peter said, there is salvation no one else, for there is no other name under heaven which has been given among men by which we must be saved. Here is the most hated, listen to me now, listen, put your phone up, listen to me. Here is the most hated doctrine in the Bible. It is the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. They'll let you say, this is the way, this is the way, and Jesus is the way. And they'll, or if you're just saying, everybody's got a claim to, no, 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 friend. Jesus says, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And there is forgiveness of sin. There's salvation in no one else. It's the most hated doctrine in our world. John 10, 43 tells us, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes Receives what? Look at it. Forgiveness of sin. The only way to have your sin forgiven is name the name of Jesus. If you run to Jesus, he'll forgive your sin. There's forgiveness in no other name. No other way to get to heaven but Christ. It's the hated doctrine, but I'm telling you, they came not ashamed of the name and the exclusivity of Christ. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says it this way, that there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a what? What's that word? Ransom, a ransom. That's not a middle school. Ransom is the price paid for your salvation. Jesus paid the ransom for how many? Are you all here? I'm telling you, the first crowd listened better than you listen. I mean, they was with me. Are you all all right? He died for who? All. He died for all. That means he died for you. He offers salvation unto you, a ransom 
paid. These men stood, listen to me, when you stand unashamed of the name, never forget to get the gospel in the conversation, full of spirit, full of the gospel. We've got a story to tell, and we must tell that story. But thirdly, not only were they full of the spirit and full of the gospel, they stood full of the fear of God. They said to Peter and John, we command you not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, well, whether that's right, in sight of God, give heed to you rather than to God. You'll have to judge that. But for us, all we know is what we've seen, what we heard, and we can't say anything else. The church has a problem today. Many believers have a problem today, and that is that they fear men more than they fear God. We've lost the fear of God in the local church often. We'd rather please man's please God. We've got to find the truth of God, fear God, and stay with Him. History recorded that John Knox, John Knox, our great forefather in the faith, it was said that Knox feared God so much he never feared the face of any other man. Wow. Never feared the face of a man. This week, good news came. In the Dobbs case, it was poor law written almost 50 years ago. Finally overturned, and we rejoice at that. Glory to God. It's a good day. Amen. Our church must stand for life from the womb to the tomb. Amen. We rejoice. Now you understand that it's kicked it back to the states, and Florida will be a hotbed for that. We always have been. Since I've been here as your pastor for 32 years, we've seen two abortion doctors murdered. That's wrong. That's heinous crime. You, you don't take a gun and shoot those that disagree with you. No. You stand and let truth prevail. Thank God for those that have made this decision and helped get us to this place. I, I was 17, almost 18 years old when Roe v. Wade became law. It's the year I graduated from high school, 50 years ago. Just after that, this bad law was written. And now it's been overturned, kicked it back to the states. Many states now, already abortion is illegal. Not in Florida. Uh, we have a new law coming on the books up to 15 uh, weeks. Uh, we're working toward things, electing the right people, encouraging people to stand. So, Prince, why would you do it? Because we fear God more than we fear man. You find right and you do it. I have no doubt that in, in this congregation today, there are people that have been to the abortion clinic, not to protest, but because abortions come to your life. Would you hear me say to you, this church loves you. That is not, while it is heinous crime, it is sin. It is not an unpardonable sin. That's why we stand trying to help put our hands out. 
and say, we're, we're here to help. I had one half infidel this week. We were talking about healing. He said, why? What's your church do for women? Hmm. I said, would you come over here to the Cares house with me? I said, I, I'll introduce. I said, I got two or three girls over there. I said, they'll whip half the men in this room. And if you walk in there, I'll tell them, whip you. We had one girl in our first class. She didn't need any help, all right? Jackie Johnson didn't need any help. She was a bouncer in a bar. I was scared of her then. I'm scared of her now. I called her. I said, Jackie, are you doing well? I'm easy, all right? Just stay at arm's length. I love her. Oh, Miss Jackie. She changed my life right there. Right, Right there. Easter Sunday morning, right, right there. <laughs> I'd preached on prostitution that day. Now God would forgive you. She came walking, she had on a hat, as big as a flying saucer. She come walking around that corner, she reached over and got me, pulled me up under that hat and hugged me. She said, Pastor, you can quit praying that horror prayer. God's already answered that. I said, what? She said, yeah, I gave myself right over here, sold myself so I could get my money. And then I went next door and bought my crack. That's when I got arrested. And then Miss Debbie led me to Christ, Scambia County Jail. And she came, one of our first graduates coming out here. Friend, there's power in the name if you're not ashamed. Amen. We must learn to fear God more than man. Proverbs 29, 25 says the fear of man brings a snare and it brings a snare every time. Proverbs 9, 10 says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Let me tell you, hear me. Every church has got to be filled with the gospel because the gospel, if if you got a church with no gospel, with no good news, it's like a fountain with no water. It's like a night sky with no stars. Let me tell you, the gospel brings the glory to the church. It's what we're about. We fear God more than man. Mary, Mary said it, hallelujah. Mary, in Luke 1, verse number 50, in that wonderful account we call the Magnificent, where she is just giving glory and praise unto the Lord. She said, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Amen. And I'm telling you, when a generation, we've already had a generation go by that didn't fear God, but there's a new generation raising up, evidently some people that fear God. If you will fear him, the mercy of, the mercy of God can come again to the United States of America. God didn't choose America. No, he chose Israel. But let me tell you, in our founding, America chose God. We did. You look at all the facts. But what we've done, we've reversed course, and no longer do we choose him. We choose the fear of man rather than the fear of God. Thus the judgment of God falls. But when he finds people that will fear him, mercy comes generation by generation. And then in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, what a glorious promise that we find in Acts 9, 31 for the church. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they enjoyed peace and they were being built up. The church was growing and they were going along in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And what? It continued to increase. The church was on the rise. It was building sinew and muscle and and was reaching people. Why? Because they were going about in the fear of the Lord. It's come to my office a few times. Young girl, 
sometimes with a man, oftentimes by herself. She comes, she sits down. She said, Pastor, God's changed my life, but I, I got something in, in my past. She said, I've been to the clinic. I was pregnant. And, and, and we killed the baby. We aborted the child. She said, I can't get past it. What? Friend, this is where the grace of the gospel comes. If God will forgive the apostle Paul, he'll forgive that girl. When she comes confessing her side, I said, listen, but here's the problem. Most often, she can receive the forgiveness of God. Where she struggles is forgiving herself. And many of you sit here today receiving the grace of God, but you have a hard time forgiving yourself. Don't be harder on yourself than God is. I want to teach you a little phrase. You need to, you need to get this in your mind. Honor the blood and honor the Holy Ghost. I want you to say that with me two times out loud because you won't say it loud the first time, but you will the second time. All right, here we go. Honor the blood and honor the Holy Ghost. One more time. Honor the blood and honor the Holy Ghost. Listen, when you sin and you bring it to Jesus, it comes under the blood and your sin is forgiven. Don't be harder on yourself than God is. Honor the blood. Honor the blood of Jesus. And then honor the Holy Ghost. Because the Spirit of God does a new thing within you. When you hang on to that sin, you quench the Holy Spirit. When you release it, you receive God's grace through His blood and the Holy Spirit. There's revival. There's glory. And you know what happens when, when that happens? See, see that old boy that was sitting at the beautiful gate? He's a picture. He's a picture of a lost man. You can't walk with God until you get saved, but then you hear the gospel, and God raises you up. And you know what happens, Brother Gary, when, when you get saved? You begin to run and jump, and, and you start to shout, and you say, glory to God, let's go, I'm ready, amen, take off. I, I mean, you're you having a spell going with God. He just takes off. He changes your life. You're forever different because God, I ain't going to touch you, don't worry about it. And God just begins to go to work and go to work and go to work and go to work. And all of a sudden, there's a shout. Nobody else got to say, say, what's the matter with that crazy guy? Oh, he's just loving Jesus with all of his life. So well, I don't know if I want to have that or not. I'm telling you, that's what happened at the temple. You read the text, it says it right there. He ran and leaped and praised God. It helped Baptists to have a little more leaping. Amen. Amen. Somebody ought to shout every now and then. I mean, somebody Miss Hale made heaven, you ought to shout, shouldn't you? I go to football games on Saturday and people paint their face and their body and holler and carry on. Like something happened that they did. <laughs> Screaming at a game they never played where a school they never attended. It's amazing to me. 
And then you give the invitation, and the old boy comes and gives his heart and life to Christ, and he sits there like a wooden Indian. I mean, we don't live by emotion, but I'm telling you just a little, it helps us every now and then. I mean, it's a little shout of joy. You get out of school, I'll, I'll call you down. I've been here 32 years, I haven't had to call nobody down yet. I've had some people try to call me down a time or two. Call me off a ledge, and I thank God for it. All I'm telling you, friends, don't be ashamed of the name. Don't do it. You never know when God's going to go to work like he did in this Dobbs case. I mean, God's opened the door now for us to help people, love folks. The, the ERLC, I was down at Safe Harbor here not many weeks ago, and they put that machine in there, paid for it. Praise God. What do you call that thing? Ultrasound. Ultrasound. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. I've been running and gave out. <laughs> they put that ultrasound in there and they had this money paid for that they asked me to come down and pray with two or three other guys we, we went and did that and they've done that all over many places we don't have as many as we need we've got to have more but we'll get that done we've got opportunity with young ladies and families you don't gloat over a decision you don't no you just do the right thing in the right way in the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In a moment, John's going to sing a song, and we're going to invite you to come. Some of you need Jesus today. I want you to come, say yes to him. You're here, need a church, come, join the church today. What a great way. He said, well, preacher, I yeah, come, put your membership here. I had a couple, young couple out in the foyer at the early service came by and said, we, it's our day, we're ready. I said, amen, let's, let's do it today. You're here, need Jesus, need a church, then come. You may be here, and you're hanging on to some tough sin. You need God to forgive you, but you need to forgive yourself. Just come lay that right here at the altar. Just say, God, I, I give it to you and leave it with him. And you'll find grace, grace, marvelous grace that covers a multitude of our sin. And then we'll go with the gospel and we'll tell the world that Jesus saves.